has given me not a mandate, not a direction, but a gift, a blessing to be able to speak his word to people. It's, it's, it's not a duty, it's, it's a, something I get to do. And that's something I think that uh, a lot of people take for granted, you know. They, see, they begin to see things that they have to do, that they have, things that they have to do. But they're not things that they have to do. They're, ob they're obligations, they're duties, those things, obedience in general. It's not something you have to do. It's something you get to do. And when you have that mindset, it changes your whole perspective. And speaking of perspective, now I can't see. <laughs> No, I'm not trying to look cool. I get to actually see you guys now as you are. I get to see you in all the radiance that you're wearing that I don't normally get to see. You see, I'm red, green, colorblind. I'm part colorblind. There's different variants, it's very common. Um, but what I didn't realize until a pastor friend of mine and I were uh, having a, a get together is that they make a glasses now that can compensate for that. I never knew that. See, I was a pilot. I couldn't, I couldn't be a pilot in the military because I was a red-green colorblind. When I became a, a pilot in the civilian world, I had to go show that I could differentiate the specific aviation colors, which are all washed out to me. Everything's washed out. But I still see some of them. But I could be riding through the desert and look at a a purple or a, a blue flower, and I put these on and realized, oh, that's purple. I never knew what purple was. I knew it was a color, but all those intermediate colors have no meaning to me. So I'm now learning what all these things are, and it's a whole new world for me. Now this is minor in comparison to what a lot of people don't have, obviously. But the thing I, I want you to, that I want to stress about that is that that's a blessing that God showed me at 51 years old. It took me 51 years to learn this. But it's a blessing that I was given. Why? I mean, why, why, would, why would I get that now? And it kind of points to part of the message for tonight. Or tonight, sorry, I normally do evening service. Part of the uh, meaning of the message for today when we talk about obedience and how the world sees us is that we get to choose what glasses we wear to see the world. We get to choose the glasses we, see, we use to see other people. If somebody walks down the aisle and they've got piercings all through their head and tattoos all over themselves and they come down and they start and maybe they don't exactly smell right. By the way, I had COVID, so I can't smell anything either. So thank you, COVID. Um, but you kind of wonder, oh, is he going to sit by me? Oh, is he going to sit by me? Well, maybe I'll move over two seats to just get in room. Is that the way the body's supposed to work? Absolutely not. you got to wear the glasses to see his true colors. Something brought him in. Something brought him to the house of the Lord. 
And there's another side to that. We have to wonder what glasses people are wearing when they look at us. How we portray ourselves to the world. You know, we have a lot of gifts. Not just mine, for example, to be able to talk to people. And by the way, I'm the world's biggest introvert. And God took an introvert and made him a pastor. Now, if that isn't a, a joke, if there isn't a joke in there somewhere, I, 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 don't, I, I can't see of it happening anywhere else. But proof that he uses people and people that you wouldn't expect him to use. But there's other gifts I have that God's given me. He gave me guilt. He gave me conviction. He gave me sorrow. He gave me regret. Why are those gifts? Because they drive me to repentance. If I didn't have those, I'd be lost. You see, there's a lot of Christians in the world today that like to hold their head high. Pharisee and the, and the tax collector in the temple, right? Oh, Lord, thank you that I am not like this man, a sinner. Whereas, what's the tax collector say? God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Right? We want to be the latter. That's the one Christ said to be like. Not the one that holds his head high and thinks, I'm better than the guy that just walked down the middle of the aisle with all those tattoos and those piercings. This is obedience. True obedience to the Lord. Is honoring all of his commandments. Focusing on all that our Lord said. And realizing that because he pointed us to the Old Testament by saying... From Moses to the prophets, all of scripture is written of me. We realize that this book of 66 books, written by over 40 authors over thousands of years, is a unified whole. And it all speaks to Christ. It all speaks to our Lord. And it all speaks to the kingdom. What's the gospel? And by the way, I love small groups and audience participation. So if you feel like speaking out, feel free. Right? Um... I love that almost as much as I love children in the, in the churches. I, I just love it. Um, so, what's the gospel? Some would say, well, the gospel is uh, Christ coming, God coming as man, you know, taking on human form. Some would say the gospel is that he preached taught us how to live, and then died on the cross bearing our sins. Some would say the gospel is that he was resurrected on the third day, and through that he conquered death, and we all get to live through him, through baptism and through, uh, not the physical, you know, the, there's no salvation in the water physically, but the representation of the true salvation through the Spirit, right? But we get to say that that's the gospel. What did Christ say was the gospel? It was the first opening salvo that he gave when he started his ministry. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the word used for heaven means dwelling place of God. So what he's really saying is repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. 
and that hand means right here, right? Nearby, close. The kingdom of God is here. That's the true gospel. It's not just what Christ did for us. It's the fact of why he did it, which is to allow us the keys to the kingdom. The gospel is your ambassadorship. The gospel is my representation of the kingdom. The gospel is our ability to live eternally. It's the truth. The good news to live eternally with God, to live eternally in the light of Jesus. But how do we get there? Well, he goes and tells us a lot through his ministry, right? So much packed into three and a half years. But he tells us how to get to the kingdom of heaven. But it starts just the way it started way back in Genesis and, and on. Obedience. Learning obedience. We know God loves us. But it's not a sentimental love. It's a love of a parent, a love of a father. My oldest son, and by the way, it, it, you guys have seen me come here three times now, and my wife hasn't been with me. Because we also do church in the evening, and so she's usually doing stuff to get ready for that. But she will start coming with me. I, I promise you we'll get to meet her. She's not fiction. Um, <laughs> my oldest son, he's 29 now. He's a firefighter in Burlington, Iowa. Married, and I have four grandchildren through him. Um, but he was a daredevil when he was younger. Okay. He turned 16, and his grandparents on his mother's side gave him their car. It's a bulletproof vehicle called a Honda Accord. <laughs> and I know it's bulletproof because he's proven it. <laughs> oh, we've been called by the police. Uh, your son's doing donuts out in the middle of the desert. Um, he's jumping hills. He's in a Honda Accord. He's taking that thing in places you never would have thought. I mean, Jeeps can't even get you, but he got that Honda Accord. In fact, that's kind of the joke in our house is if we if we see something happen or somebody in a in, you know in a precarious position in a vehicle, we go, oh well, the only other vehicle that would do that would be a Honda Accord. Um, one night he was with his friend, and we lived down in Anthem. His friend lived around the corner. It had been a rainy night, and Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift movie had come out. Yeah, that's what we did. Um, I had had knee surgery, so I was on crutches. And um, I'm kind of a jack of all trades master now. I'll fix my own cars. I'll, you know, I used to do construction, so I'll, you know, build my own house, that kind of stuff. But um, he uh, he come home that next morning, walking. It's around, it's around the corner. I need you to help me go get it. Can, we, can we, you help me tow it back here? Um, I swerved to avoid a coyote last night. And uh, you know, the pavement was wet. And so I, 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 I hit the curb and I, I hurt the car. I used to be a firefighter medic in Kansas City, Missouri. And part of our forte is 
<laughs> being able to uh, tell what happened, because we look for the mechanism of injury, so we know where, what injuries the patient may have. And so I can usually look at an accident and see exactly what happened. You know, you go around them enough, you, you can kind of figure it out. Well, he tells me he swore to avoid a coyote. I'm on my crutches, right? And my wife's with me and we're looking and there's this car and it's sitting against a curb and the passenger wheel on the front side is bent in. And I look in and the, the uh, control arm, which is like a little steel I-beam is bent. It takes some work to do that. And uh, the back tire is flat and there's a big dent down one side and I can see some damage on the other side. And he's still talking, telling his story, you know, as they do, rattling off, trying to, if he can fill it with words, maybe he'll distract me. Well, you know, I, there was a coyote and I come across over here and I, I had to swear to it and I'm ignoring him and just looking over, you know. He finally stops talking. There's a pause in his rhetoric and I said, well, let me tell you what I think happened. <laughs> I think you're sitting here at the stoplight and then you gun it to spin the wheels, and then you decide to try and drift, and you slide over here and you hit this curb, and then that moves you over here according to these tracks to hit this curb, and then according to these tracks, you bump just this curb here, and then smash it right into the side here after you've built up a little speed. And he just kind of <laughs> He was a little disobedient. Knew he wasn't supposed to do this stuff. But God gives us consequences for our disobedience, right? He's our Father. Sometimes the consequences are harsh. Now, I did not kill him. I'm going to say that right now. I didn't kill him. I, I, for a moment. No, I didn't. I didn't. But my. <laughs> we're, we're, I don't say anything. We get in the car. We're driving back home, and my wife's just fuming. She's like, What are we going to do? And I go, Oh, I know what we're She's like, how can you be so calm? Why aren't you so mad right now? I'm like, oh, I'm not happy. But I know what I'm going to do. And she says, well, how, how, how are we going to punish him? I said, he's going to fix it. <laughs> and she says, oh, that's good. You see, his mantra from when he was 14 years old and I had him helping me with cars, he hated it. And his mantra was, when I get old enough, I'm going to make enough money that I don't ever have to fix a car. I'm going to pay somebody to do it. Not today, buddy. <laughs> so, he spent weeks trying to get tires off and stuck tie rods and stuck control arms and banging fingers and 16-year-old grumbling and even 16-year-old swearing as much as they're allowed to do in front of their parent, you know. Um, but he's bent having to do this, and I'm telling I can't help you, I'm on crutches, and I'll sit here and watch you, which I did a lot, took a lot, I took, took a few pictures, um, but he learned, he learned, that was the last time he tried the Tokyo Drift, first, and second of all, it was the last time he tried to lie to me about what happened in an accident, because he knows I already know how to do it, and now it's funny, because he's a firefighter medic, and he does the same thing I used to do, so now he can do it, I can't wait till his son grows <laughs> we give them that parent curse, you know. One of these days you're going to have a kid that does just the same stuff you do. 
Matthew 4:17 from the time Jesus began to preach he said repent for the kingdom of God uh, the kingdom of God is at hand or the kingdom of heaven is near. In Luke 4:43 he says I must preach the kingdom of God to all the cities for I was sent for that purpose. The Father sent him to preach the kingdom of God. In Luke 9:2 and he sent them out so he's sending out the apostles to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. What gains us entrance into this kingdom? Love. Christ's love for us. The Father's love for us. And what is love? We have to love them back. And love is obedience. Love is obedience. Christ told us that. Sometimes, like I said, that punishment or that consequence can be harsh. Book of Joshua. Uh, at, at church, what I'm doing is showing um, Christ in every book of the Bible. Because he, he said it, right? From Moses to the prophets, the entirety of Scripture is written in me. And for him, at that time, Scripture was the Old Testament. And so... That's been my thing from the beginning of the year, is just starting with Genesis, showing Christ in every book. And we, we just concluded the book of Joshua. And one of the uh, messages that the Spirit gave me to speak was on obedience, the lesson of obedience. Um, if we look at uh, Joshua chapter 7, in the, in the conquest of... Uh, of, it's supposed to be the conquest of Ai, or in the Hebrew, I, I believe they say it, but Ai, Ai, that's the two letters, Ai. Uh, that's the name of the town. They had just had this spectacular battle in Jericho. That, by the way, something for you to study, actually represents uh, or is a pre prelude to Revelation, right? The, the seven trumpets and, and everything, but they had this miraculous conquest of, of uh, Jericho. And how did they do it? Well, they had, to, they had to put the priests in the front, and they had to put the fighting men behind them, and they had to march around the city once a day for six days, not saying a word, not making a sound, just the sound of their clanging armor, the swords banging against their sides. That was the only sound that, they would, that the inhabitants of Jericho sitting on the double-walled city looking down would, see, would hear, is that sound. Had to be eerie, right? Here's this army that uh, determines that they're going to conquer us, but we're in a double-walled city with a long, slanted uh, field of earth between the walls. There's no way they're going to get in. And yet, here they are, and all they're doing is just marching, looking at it. Mad dogging us, right? Giving us the, the evil eye look. But they can't get in. They just go around once a day. What's the point of that? But then on the seventh day, they go around seven times. And then the trumpets blow. And the crowd shouts and the walls fall down. Miraculous. Only God can do this. And by the way, there's archaeological proof that this happened. You can go research it. There's always naysayers, but you can go research it. They found the evidence. It fits the time, it fits the place, it fits everything. Um, it fits the entire story. But the point is, is that 
they saw what their God could do. They saw it from the wandering on. This is the second generation of Israel, right? This is ap after the um, slavery. These are the, the first ones all died out. This is the children. They got to see this. They knew all they had to do was rely on their God, their father. God would give them this promised land. And then they finished that, and then they got a little too big for their bridges, like my boys. Right? And it's time to go conquer Ai. So what does Joshua do? Sends in spies, just like they did with Jericho. But this time the spies come back and say, don't send everybody. Why wear everybody out? Just send 3,000. This, this, this city's small. It'll be an easy conquest. Arrogance. Very, the very first sin I say. People say murder is the first sin. Now I say arrogance is the first sin. That's what caused Satan to fall in the first place. Right? Um, so they go in, but they don't inquire of the Lord. Joshua never asked God, hey, what do you want us to do? How do you want us to do it? Which is what they did for Jericho, right? It's what Moses always taught them to do. They didn't do that. So what happens? Well, you see, in the city of Jericho, there was a ban that God put on the spoils. There was things that the people were not allowed to take. But one guy, Achan, decided to take a little silver, take a little gold, and bury him in his tent. God knew it. But why, why didn't Joshua... God's mad. But they didn't know it. So they, why is that Declan? Am I doing something wrong? Okay. So they go to, uh, to attack, and they end up getting routed. And they lose 32 people. And so what, is, what do they do? Well, they, they, they fall, you know, Joshua falls on his face. God, God, why? Why did this happen? You know, why would we have been willing to live across the river, why, across the border? Why did this? Did you abandon your people? And God says, "Why are you prostrating yourself? Get up. Get up. You didn't ask me first. Somebody took something under the ban. And by the way, the word for that in Hebrew means cursed. Somebody took something that was cursed. They weren't supposed to take it. And He says." He gives them the process for, for finding it out, and I'm going to save you the whole, the whole story, but not, I'll just give you the cliff notes. They, uh, they bring it down to the, to the final family and then to Achan, and Joshua takes him aside and says, all right, my son, what you do? Go and hide it from me. And Achan knew what he did, and so he told him. And Achan knew the penalty, but he also knows that God, God's will is more important And they sent runners over to the tent and they found the stuff. And of course, punishment had to be meted out because this is a, 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 an infantile generation that needs to be taught harsh lessons. And so Aiken and his family were, were, uh, were stoned and, and burnt up. 
seems kind of harsh. Why? That's not the same God as in the New Testament. Christ tells us it is. You know? In fact, Christ tells us no man has seen the Lord except the one whom, whom uh, the Father sent. Right? No one's seen the Father except the one the Father sent who explains it. So that means every incidence of God in the Old Testament is Christ. Any angel of the Lord, that's Christ. Any messenger of the Lord, that's Christ. Any captain of the Lord's army, that's Christ. Pre-incarnate. So we have Christ that's meeting out the punishment. Why? Because they needed to know. And besides that, if you think that, well, that's kind of harsh, didn't he and his actions just cost them the lives of 32 people? It's not for us to decide God's judgment, right? We don't get to choose that. Obedience prevented this whole thing. But not just obedience from Achan. How about obedience from Joshua? What does scripture say? Worry about nothing but in all things. Pray, right? We're supposed to pray. He didn't ask of the Lord. Otherwise he would have known. Uh, if you go up, I'm not with you. And so take care of the band issue. God says, go back. You're going to do this. I'm going to tell you how to do it. Not only will God tell you what to do, he'll tell you how to do it. He'll give you step by step how to get this accomplished. And that's what he did. He gave them, you're going to go ahead and you're going to do this and you're going to, you're going to send some people in and then you're going to turn around and ambush them. And that's what they did. And it worked, of course, because anything that the God's got his hands in is going to work. Right? There is no failure in the Father. Obedience plays into the lenses that we wear and into the lenses that other people wear to see us. Here's how the world sees us. And I'm, it's not a surprise for you. How many are familiar with the Babylon Bee, the Babylonian Bee, or whatever? Yeah. It's a satirical news article. It's meant to be funny. And they'll even poke fun at some of the Christian doctrines, but they're, they're, you could tell from the way they portray things that they're, they're poking fun at basically other people towards Christians. But here's one of the, uh, one of the headlines. Pastor up late looking for perfect Bible verse to go with funny life anecdote. Now, if that needs explanation, that would mean I came up with the story of my son, and then I built an entire sermon around that <laughs> and found the verses that would fit that funny anecdote. In other words, pastor is trying to entertain. It's great if I entertain you, if it helps. But I'm not here to entertain, am I? No. I'm here to be a messenger from God's word down through here, out through here. And if any words come out of my mouth that are not his, I'm a false prophet. But we do see this a lot around the world, around this country in particular. The watered-down word or the word that is, uh, you know, where we cherry-pick verses 
kind of take them out of context to fit a message that the messenger's wanting to give. And we knew that it was going to happen because Christ warned us, beware of wolves in sheep's clothing, right? Beware of false prophets. Beware of false Christs. There'll be other Christs. Man skipping church secretly judging all the heathens he meets who don't go to church. Sitting in a restaurant judging all the people. Why aren't they in church right now? (laughs) But people do this. How about this? I don't need to go to church. I can do it at home myself. I can read the Bible myself. That's true. But if you're reading the Bible and you understand it, then you know that the Bible says go to church. Right? (laughs) It says do not refrain from gathering. Why? This is where we build each other up. This is where the spirit moves. Christ is in us, right? Where two or more are gathered. I will be there. He's with us right now. Why? Because we're gathered. We're here to build each other up. We're here to, to listen to the message together, glean whatever the Holy Spirit wants to give us together out of it, and individually. Some of you are getting something different out of this message than others, but that's okay, because you're getting what the Spirit wants you to get. But the Bible says to gather. So, on its face, it's a self-defeating statement. I don't need to go to church. I can just do this at home. If we are not representing the kingdom well, if we are not showing obedience, why should anybody listen to us, much less want to be like us? Why should anybody? And, and this kind of ties off of what Buddy was speaking about last week. Now He talked about the need for repentance, and I wholeheartedly agree. We need to repent daily, and we need a corporate repentance as the body repents. Because it's true. We, not only do we make mistakes that we know about, but we make plenty that we don't know about. So we should have daily repentance. God, forgive me for my sin, even the ones I don't remember that I did. Because I know I am an imperfect human being, and I know I've done something wrong. And through your grace and mercy, I can be forgiven. This is the solution Christ gave us. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is that near, is near, as nigh. And I said, love is obedience. Did I not? You want proof of that? John 14, verses 15 and 31. In verse 15, he says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will obey me. Not me. Him, right? And in 31, he says, but so that the world may know. And here's what I love about Jesus. It's not that he just came down and told us what to do. He lived it. He showed it. He demonstrated it. He gave deference to the Father, even though they're one. But so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commands me, commanded me. John 14, 31. That's obedience. 
obedient to the point that we read in Philippians 2.8, being formed in the appearance of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Amen, amen, amen. That's obedience. I don't know that I could be that obedient. But I know that I gotta try, right? And if you start thinking, well, he doesn't he wasn't in our world today. He doesn't know what it's like now. Sure he did. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. He was tempted in everything we are, yet without sin. Here's the thing. He was tempted by the devil, right? Great temptation. Throw yourself from the pinnacle. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Worship me, and everything you see will be yours. I will give it to you. Be gone, Satan, because the Bible says, as the Lord said, you shall have no other God before you. You shall not worship, bow down, or bow down to, or worship any other God. There's a one true God. Scripture to Scripture, right? He knows the Scripture better than the devil. But here's the thing: those would not have been valid temptations if it wasn't within Satan's power to make them happen. Christ would not have been tempted if it was not within Satan's power to give him the world. And we know that because God sent him down and gave him the world. Right? He's the ruler. He's the prince of this place. So, since the devil knows our word very well, it behooves us to know it very well. That's the point of the armor of God, is it not? Is we're using the word and we're using God's... Uh, grace and mercy to protect ourselves, to defend ourselves from the enemy. Enemies, because there's he's got a lot of help. Since 1962, we were, we were talking about this this morning a little bit before service, uh, Gary and, and Buddy and I, but since 1962, there's been a marked decline. Right? They took Bible out of schools. They took prayer out of schools, and there's been a marked decline in, in true faith and in the morality in society. Yeah, we had problems before. But since 1962, it's, just, it's like ramped up. And I know I'm going down, but it ramped up. The evil ramped up, and the, the decline of moral fabric has, has just taken hold. Christians not being Christians. Today... There is a 
huge, and I forget the number, but there's a huge number of people that do not believe. I think Buddy might have mentioned this last week, of people that don't believe that the Bible is infallible. Um, they think that it's errant now. And we currently have a population of seven and three-quarter billion people in the world. You know they're projecting it in November. It's going to go over eight billion. 32% profess to be Christians. That's according to Pew, but how many of those Christians have one foot in the world and one foot in the Bible? Can we live that way? Can we be saved that way? I, I've, I've talked to those people that actually thought or said because they thought, well, you know what? I don't need all that churchy stuff. Oh, okay. I, I just, you know, I, I can do this stuff on my own. Honestly, you know, I, there's things I still like to do, and God wouldn't give me that ability if, if he didn't want me to have this fun. Okay, so you don't read the Bible. Um, and besides that, you know, if, if, if I'm out there one day and I happen to look out the window and, and my wife's gone and there's just her clothes on the ground, I'll know what to do then. And then I'll get on. says, I'll give you over to your deceptions. It's too late then, because you weren't obedient. He doesn't ask for a whole lot, right? But what he does ask for, he paid a high price. He earned it, right? As if God has to earn anything. He gave his own son, went through the worst of the worst. You know, at the, at the uh, Good Friday service that we did, the group one, where all the different pastors got up and we all spoke on something. It was funny, because when they said, well, Pastor Brian, uh, will you speak at this? And I said, sure. And they said, okay, will you speak on the scourging? And I'm like, one sentence, okay. <laughs> I could turn that into a sermon. <laughs> the Bible mentions it as an afterthought, but do you realize the, the impact of a, of a true scourging? And that's what our Lord went through before the cross. For us. And what was, what was his requirement? Be obedient. Do the will. Here's, here's what he said. He said, there is no greater love than for a man to lay down his life for his friend. And we say, that's right. God laid down, down through his son, he laid down his life for his friend. And we're his friends. Huh. Hang on. What did he say we're his friends, though? If you do, you are my friends if you do the will of my with God's will. Then he died for us. Now, can we mess up? Sure. We mess up. There's so many people that go, did I commit the unpardonable sin? Did I, did I blaspheme the Holy Spirit? If you have, it's like, it's, like, it's kind of like that old adage, hey, if you have to ask if you're crazy, you're not crazy. If you have to ask yourself that, then no, you didn't. You didn't commit the unpardonable sin. As long as there's breath in our lungs, there's time. It's never too late. And for all those people out there, even that guy that walks down the middle of the aisle with the piercings and the, and the tattoos and the funny smell and he scares us to death, there's still time for him. But God
God uses people. The best way to show your obedience is to be that example. Do all those things in accordance with God's will that make other people want to be like us. Not the pastor trying to form a sermon with Bible scripture around a funny anecdote. Right? Or sitting in a cafe judging people for not being in church. Don't be those guys. Repent daily. Be humble. And here's one that I really like. Because it kind of brings it home. Jeremiah 32. Jeremiah 32, verse 32. I'm sorry. Because of all the evil of the sons of Israel and the sons of Judah, which they have done to provoke me to anger, this is God speaking, they, their kings, their leaders, their priests, their prophets, the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, they have turned their back to me and not their face, though I taught them, teaching again and again, they would not listen and receive instruction. How many parents in here? How many times you talk to your blue in the face? All right, and they still, oh, I'm gonna do it anyway. Well, you watch them running into a wall, no helmet on, nothing, they're heading to that wall, right? Kind of frustrates you, doesn't it? Kind of makes you angry. But they put their detestable things in the house which is called by my name to defile it. They put their detestable things in the house which is called by my name. For us, where is that house? Is it this church? Where is the house of the Lord for us? Where is his temple? It's us. taught us time and time and time again, don't put things in there to defile yourself. And if you do, get it out of there and repent. That's the whole book of Judges. Twelve judges. Twelve cycles. Turning away from God. God disciplining them, not always pleasantly. Them repenting. And then the judge delivering them. And then disobeying again <laughs> and it just goes on and on and on well did you know that that happens on the 490 year cycle for Israel also we can we can prove it in scripture 490 years I call it the great jubilee right? well how many times did Christ say to forgive it's not seven times but Seventy times seven. Guess how much that equals? Four hundred ninety. Kind of funny, huh? There are no coincidences with our God. That's how it makes him so amazing. As long as there's breath in our lungs, there's time. But more importantly for us, I mean, I'm looking at a whole 
I'm looking at a whole crowd full of people that I know are repentant. They're colored with the Spirit. You're all colored with the Spirit. God's in you. You're followers of Christ, and there is no denying that. Now we just have to show everybody else. We have to get everybody else to wear these same glasses. We do that through our obedience. Because if we follow Christ's commandments, he'll do the rest. We'll plant the seeds, he'll do the watering. Right? All we got to do is just obey. What is the most important commandment? Love the Lord thy God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. And the second one is like unto the first. Exactly. Love your neighbor as yourself. And what is love? Well, for God, it's obedience. Christ said it. He did it. And he showed us how to do it as well. Let's bow our hearts, please. Heavenly Father, we come before you humbly and so thankful. Thankful for this day. Thank you for this opportunity to gather together. There are so many places where this is not an option for people, where they have to hide and, and gather in secret. And we're truly blessed with the ability to do this openly and in public. And, and we're, we're blessed to be able to build each other up and to, to to learn from one another and grow together in your word. And God, we just, we just ask that this message get out to all those who need it, all those who need to hear this. Pour this message into the spirits of those, not just here, but in the world, Father. Because this is something that is so needed today. As we watch what seems like the moral decay of society, we know that you are still on the throne and you are still in charge. And we know that through us, the hands and feet of your son, you can do many miraculous things, and we just ask, Father, that you would help us to be better ambassadors of the kingdom of which Christ came to preach according to your will. And in his name we pray, amen. amen. Thank you, everybody.